Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Hey church, my name's Nix, and we're going to be reading from Philippians today. We're going to read from the Holman translation, but if you have another translation in front of you and you get a bit lost, never fear because the words will be behind you, sorry, behind me on the screen. We're looking at Philippians 1 verses 12 to 26. Philippians 1, 12 to 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that, in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the fresh flesh is more necessary for you. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you with your, for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Well, everyone, good morning. Uh, great to see you all here, especially uh, welcome to you if you're visiting and uh, here to see some of the people be baptised. Hope you've uh, felt very uh, warmly welcomed. My name's Craig. I'm one of the ministers here. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. It is a gift and it is precious. Father, we ask now as we come to look at this passage that you would help us to understand what it is that you have to say, that each one of us in this room would hear your words in this passage. And Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to move forward, more in line, more in step with your word. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's easy to be distracted and to get distracted, even when you know the main thing that you need to be focusing on. And even when you do know what that main thing is, it can be very 
challenging to stay locked in on it, to stay focused and to not get distracted. When I was a kid in high school, I worked at uh, KFC at Kings Park in Blacktown. And, and uh, this one time I was, I was on drive-through. The way that drive-through used to work back then is there was lots of things happening. The job was there's like the window, the drive-through, and you had to, you know, take money and give change. And then you had to pack the food and give it to the person in the car. You had an ear piece on with like a little microphone and the person at the box, you know, in the drive-thru would be talking to you, you'd be taking their order, do you want to upsize, all the things, right? Lots of stuff going on, very complicated. The way that the, uh, the, way that the drive-thru window worked was there was like an infrared beam back here and when you stepped into it, the window would automatically open and you'd talk to the person and take money. And then when you stepped out of it, after about 15 seconds or so, the window would automatically close. It doesn't work like that anymore, but that's how it used to work. So one night I'm doing my thing and the person in the car here was very enthusiastic to talk to me. And I had a lot of things to say about the quality of the service. And they were doing their thing. And the person up at the drive-thru in my earpiece was also yammering. And I couldn't, I couldn't hear everyone. So I, I took the earpiece off. So and I was just like, forget them. Just so I could like talk with this person in the car. But their car was quite loud and I still couldn't quite hear them. So what I did was I took a step back and I leaned out the window so I could hear them. <laughs> and we talked for about 15 seconds or so. <laughs> and then the window slammed shut on my head and just squished me. And I was stuck in the drive through window. And so in that moment, what I chose to do was just to scream as loud as I could directly into the car that was waiting. And I just flailed around, right, trying to find the infrared beam, because you had to have a fair bit of mass in it. And so I was just like flailing around like a fish, right, trying to find the beam. I eventually found it and the window opened. It's quite painful, right? It's quite a hydraulic window. It was squishing and eventually let me go and the pain and the humiliation was all over. And they don't make the drive-through windows like that anymore. And I like to think that it was because of me. Because, you know, when you get distracted, even though you know the main thing, and even though you know how all the circumstances around you work, you, it, you can still get distracted. And when you do, it can sometimes end in pain and in humiliation. And you know what it's like, you, you don't focus on the speed that you're driving, you get distracted by other things, and then the lights flash 
behind you in the rear view and suddenly everything becomes clear again and maybe it ends in pain and perhaps some humiliation. You know what it's like, you, you don't focus on your husband or your wife when they talk to you and you get distracted by other things and sometimes, I'm told this happens to people, sometimes it doesn't go very well. You know, you need to finish the report, you need to finish the essay, but you just can't focus. You know what you need to do. You know, you're here at church and the preacher's preaching. I know what it's like. The preacher's preaching and you're trying to be focused. You're trying to listen, but it's so easy to get distracted. There's so many other things to outside of you to look at, inside of you to think about. It's easy to be distracted like that because we've got so many things we're a hyper connected world now there's always something to scroll or click or tap and like maybe i want to focus on something but i just don't always know what it is or what it should be because what if when i focus on this what if i miss out on that if I'm going to focus on the main thing, what even is that? What is it that I'm supposed to be focusing on? And as a church, what is it that we're supposed to focus on? There are so many issues in the world. There's so many problems around us. And there's lots of things that we could do. There's lots of things that we could focus on. But what should we focus on? Because wouldn't it be a shame, wouldn't it be a tragedy if you thought you were focusing on the main thing, you thought you were doing the right thing, you thought you were doing what God wanted you to do, but wouldn't it be just a tragedy if you thought you were doing what he wanted only to find out too late that it was the wrong thing the whole time? Wouldn't it be a shame? If you thought you were supposed to focus over here and this was the right thing, but it turned out you were actually supposed to be focusing over here and that this was just a distraction the whole time. And I can imagine, as we know, there's lots of people here. We can look around the room and there are people in this room who already trust and follow Jesus. There's others of us... In, in this room who aren't really sure what we think, not quite sure where we're up to, not quite sure what it means. And there's others of us in this room, I would think, who are absolutely positive that you're not a part of any kind of church, Christian Jesus thing, but you're here because people invited you. Well, what we're going to do and what I hope we're going to see as we look at this passage that was read out for us is what is it that Paul focuses on? What's his perspective on his circumstances? And what is the main thing for Paul amongst everything else that's peripheral? And what can we learn about what that might look like for us and what God wants for us as individuals and as a church? So we're in uh, Philippians chapter 1, if you still have that open from when it was read out. Philippians chapter 1. Now you need to know that this 
sermon, the plan is not that we're going to unpack each verse and explain what everything in this passage means like we might normally try to do. The plan is, I want us to see what's going on underneath this passage. What, what's driving it? What, what holds it all in place? And so we'll be zooming in on some key verses that help us to see that, I think, as we think about us and what we're doing and where we're heading. That's, that's the plan. In this passage that was read, Paul looks backwards and then he looks forwards. He looks backwards to what has happened and he looks forwards to what he expects is going to happen. And as he looks both ways, we're going to see what's what's driving him, what he's passionate about, what matters to him. So let's start in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Now let's just pause there. So Paul's in prison. He's in prison a lot. And when he is in prison, it's because he's been talking about Jesus and that Jesus is the king. And something has happened while he's in prison. He knows what it is. The Philippians, they know what it is. We don't know what it is. It it doesn't sound like it's good, but something has happened. But then he says, I want you to know that this thing that happened has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. But as you read that sentence, it's both extremely helpful, but I think also extremely challenging. Because Paul has a radically different way of assessing his circumstances than maybe the majority of us do. Most of us, I would think, judge our lives based on our circumstances and based on whether they are advantageous to us or not, whether they are comfortable or not, whether they're convenient or whether they're inconvenient. And then we pronounce whether the circumstance is good or not. But Paul is in some bad circumstances and you would forgive him for complaining and whinging about them, but he doesn't. He doesn't judge his circumstances based on how they affect him. He judges them based on how they affect the spread of the gospel. If he focused on his circumstances, he would have every reason to complain. He's in a first century prison. They're not great at the best of times, but he's there and he doesn't It's like he doesn't care about his own comfort and convenience. What he cares about is that Jesus is preached and in that he rejoices. In verses 15 to 17, it seems like there are these people who are preaching about Jesus so that it will make Paul's life harder in prison. It's hard to really get get your head around what that is and what that would look like and what it means, but Something's happening. People are preaching Jesus to make Paul's life harder in prison. But again, see how Paul responds. Verse 18, he says, What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. 
What does it matter? Just that Christ is preached. And so if, if I'm in prison and if people are out there making it harder than it already is, what does it matter? I will rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is proclaimed. Because that's what I'm focused on. That's what I care most about. In other words, for Paul, Jesus is more valuable than his own comfort or his freedom. How is he able to rejoice in less than ideal circumstances? Well, it's, it's because he treasures Jesus more than having ideal circumstances. So what's the main thing that he's on about? What's the main thing that we're on about as a church? Well, it's that Christ is proclaimed and in that we rejoice. Like Trav said earlier, it's about introducing people to Jesus. That's what we're on about. What we're on about is that the message of Jesus would advance in this area. We want people to know the things that we know. We want people to have the things that we have. We want people to find in Jesus the things that we have found in Jesus. Life and joy and hope and forgiveness and peace and all these things. And we know there are a lot of people in this area and it's only going to increase. People come to our church from all over the place. People come to our church from Pitt Town. They come from McGrath's Hill. They come from Wilberforce, Wiseman's Ferry, Windsor, Richmond, Bly Park, Vineyard, Rivo, Rouse Hill, Box Hill, Oakville, Yarramundi, Cadai, so many places, more than that. People come from a long way away all over and there's lots of people in that area and there's more constantly moving in, especially moving into Box Hill and River. In, uh, in the census that we did last year, there's almost 4,000 people who live here in Pitt Town area, almost 4,000. In Box Hill, there is six and a half thousand. So Box Hill's already bigger than here. And they reckon that in the next 15 years or so, the six and a half will turn into 45,000. Maybe more. And in the 10 years after that, it could be something more like 60 to 80,000 there. It's a lot of people. People are moving in. And that's just there. They're moving in everywhere. And so how we, we want to reach these people with the news about Jesus and how good he is. How are we possibly going to do that for all those people? Well, number one, how are we going to do it is we're going to joyfully send us out back to where we live to go love people that we interact with, where we live. That's number one, joyfully send each other out. But wouldn't it be, you know, like this is one of the reasons why we wanted to reach the people who live in, who are moving into Box Hill. That's one of the reasons why we started the Moralia Musical Munchkins over there. 
And the closest we could get to Box Hill was Moralia, but it was close enough. And wouldn't it be good if it wasn't just that we sent ministries to start over there, but wouldn't it be good if we could launch a church over there? If we could have a place where people over there could come and be a part of something, a service from our church that met over there. Wouldn't that be good? Now, that's almost impossible. There's no land over there. But even if, even if there was land, we couldn't afford it. It's almost impossible. But even if we could afford it, that, would, that we would be allowed to start a church over there is almost impossible. But even if we were allowed to build a church, the actual kind of like building, how would we afford it? It's almost impossible. The whole thing, every step of it is almost impossible. However, we do follow a God who every now and then does impossible things. So we have no idea how that would even be possible, but you never know. Paul treasured Christ more than his own ideal circumstances and the message of Jesus advanced. The objective is not land or a building. The objective is people and Christ preached and joy. That's the objective. And it's the same for us. And so as you think about how you assess your own life, is this the lens that you use? Is this the criteria that you use? Is the main thing for you whether Jesus is proclaimed? Or is there some other criteria that you might use? Perhaps how advantaged or disadvantaged you are. Maybe how comfortable or not you are. Maybe how healthy you are or not. Maybe how easy it is or not easy it is for you to afford things. Maybe it's what people say about you or don't say about you. What, what criteria, what lens do you use to assess whether your life is going well or not? And what would it look like if you decided that you were going to change the criteria that you use to assess your life? and the circumstances that you find yourself in, how different would it be if you started using Paul's criteria here in Philippians chapter 1? Can you say the same thing as him? What does it matter? Just that Christ is preached and in that I rejoice. We're going to see that a lot, that kind of vibe, joy, rejoicing. It is peppered throughout this whole book. And it's through this passage, it's joy, it's rejoicing in Jesus because he's so valuable, he's such a treasure. And that perspective defines and drives normal, everyday, grain-fed, free-range Christianity. Okay, so that's backwards. He's in prison, things have happened, people are making it hard, but he rejoices. Then from the second half of verse 18, he looks forward to what he expects will happen. But let's pick it up in verse 20. He says, 
My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. There's a lot of things going on in that verse that we could unpack, but I just want to zoom in on the last little phrase. What does it mean for Christ to be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, in chapter 3, he's going to explain a bit more what it means for Jesus to be honoured in his life. So we'll come back to that thought in a couple of weeks' time. But what does it mean for Jesus to be highly honoured in death? Well, he explains what it means in verse 21. Because I reckon for the average Australian person, death means loss. It means losing everything. It means, you, you know, you can't take it with you. You Naked you arrive, naked you'll leave, all that stuff. When you die, you lose everything. Every possession, every position, every title, every friend, every member of your family. When you die, it's all gone. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no deals you can make. There's no loopholes. There's no bargaining. There's no mates rates. Nothing. That's the deal. You lose everything. Everyone loses everything someday. But in verse 21, Paul says, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain, not loss, gain. So how is Jesus honoured in Paul's death? Well, this is a bit of a tricky thought, but it's, it, it's so amazing that if, if, you can grasp it. it, it literally just might change your life. This is what it means. Imagine you've got a profit and loss, you know, piece of paper where you got all the things that it costs and all the things that you'll get. Loss, profit. And in the loss column, you list everything that you have. All your stuff, all your friends, all your family, everything that you wanted to do, everywhere that you wanted to go, all your hopes, all your dreams, everything, loss, you lose it all. And then in the profit column, you put Jesus. When you die, you get to be with him face to face. You get to see him, high five, give him a hug, say thanks for everything, you're with him. That's the deal, loss, everything and everyone. Prophet, Jesus. And you look at that and you look at the cost, you look at the profit and you weigh it all up and you say, that's a good deal. I'll take it. That's profit. I win. There's more in the profit column than the loss column. When you do that, when you can say that and when you can mean it and when you can live like that, then Jesus is highly honoured in your death because he's displayed to the world that he is more valuable than everything else that you have combined. 
and his gain. Jesus isn't just a saviour to be trusted. He's also a treasure to be valued. And Paul says, when we treasure him above everything else, that's what it means to highly honour him. Because following Jesus means treasuring Jesus. And treasuring Jesus impacts on how you live every other aspect and facet and area of your life. How could you possibly be in a first century prison with people trying to make your life even harder than it is? How could that happen and for you to still be joyful and rejoice? Well, it could happen because there's something that you treasure more than comfort or freedom or convenience. It could only happen if you treasured Jesus above everything else. How could you possibly think that losing everything was a good deal? Well, only if what you gained was more valuable to you than everything else combined. It could happen if you treasured Christ above all things. How how could you possibly follow Jesus if you knew that it meant that the people that you worked with or family or friends would, would mercilessly make fun of you and put you down because of the things that you think? How could you possibly do that? How could you possibly pledge to contribute financially to church instead of putting it towards a holiday or buying fun things or paying off the mortgage? How could you possibly wake up Sunday mornings and come to church instead of sleeping in or getting stuff done around the house or anything else? How could you possibly go to a small group, a growth group, and think that was a good use of time rather than staying at home or getting things done or finishing the assignment or getting a good sleep before work? How, how could you possibly join a ministry and serve around church when there's so much other stuff that you love and need to do? Well, only if you treasured Christ as infinitely valuable would any of those things make sense. When Jesus is your treasure, a lot of things start changing. And so what is the criteria that you're using to assess your life? And does it reflect what you really believe is true? Does it reflect that Jesus is king? And not just king, but saviour, and not just saviour, but treasure. Imagine what it would be like if in every circumstance that you faced, no matter what it was, along with Paul, you could say, but what does it matter? Only that Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. In a C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, he writes in one of them called Prince Caspian. And the kids come back to the land of Narnia and after a bit of time, they meet up with Aslan, the lion. And one one of the kids, Lucy, says to him, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan says to her, that's because you're older, little one. And Lucy says, so, it, so it's not because you are bigger, 
And Aslan says, I'm not. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And that's what it's like. That's what it looks like. That's the vision. That's, that's what we're on about. That every year that you grow, Jesus will be bigger, more impressive, more admirable, more valuable. That every year that you grow, you'll find him bigger. Because following Jesus is about treasuring Jesus. And each year, as you grow, he will be bigger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus and for who he is and for he, he's, he's so valuable, so impressive, so admirable. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us in this room to see him more clearly for who he really is. And Father, we pray for each one of us that you would help us as we grow each year that Jesus, we would find him bigger. And Father, we pray that in his name. Amen.